Hello and welcome to another Deep Awake Dialogue with me, Richard Cox, and Tim Freak. Today, I'm going to be asking Tim about his book, The Jesus Mysteries, which he co-authored nearly 20 years ago with Peter Gandhi, and made the audacious claim that Jesus wasn't an historical character, but a kind of literally literal mythical figure. Tim, good morning. Good morning. So, you wrote this controversial book and we're now 20 years on has the world had the reaction you expected i were you and what, what reaction were you expecting when you put this this claim out were you expecting a a change in the nature of scholarship over the the following years or oh, the complete collapse of the catholic church yeah, um, the transformation of everyone's ideas around who jesus is and the whole of culture to move on to a gnostic understanding i think that's what we had in mind <laughs> Uh, no. Um, what did we expect? You know, that's a really good question, Richard. I, I think we were still young enough not to really know. We, 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 we just, we did it. And also my experience generally in life is, you know, what something is in retrospect. So at the time, most of the time we were working on the material. I didn't even know that we had a bestseller on our hands. I'd never had anything remotely like a bestseller. So I had no experience with it. And then it was while we were working on material that I thought was just of interest to me and Peter and maybe a small handful of people that it dawned on me, oh my God, this is huge. What we're saying is massive. And then suddenly we were being presented to all of these publishers who were going, oh, this is huge. This is massive. We definitely want this. And this was a whole new phenomena. So it wasn't so much that we had an expectation. It was more that we suddenly found ourselves riding this wave. And as I think often happens with things, we didn't know what the wave was until it had probably come down. Okay, and it, it seemed like a shocking idea to you and Peter at the time, didn't it? The idea that Jesus wasn't the man of oh, the most famous man that ever lived, never lived, was a shocking, really thing. shocking. I mean, I mean, I can remember us both feeling like we, you know, in that those old superstitious things that are in you. you know, do we get struck down for even thinking this? Is this? Right. I mean, I, I'd been brought up in the church. Peter's father was a he'd been a fundamentalist christian yeah. peter for a little yeah. while and his and his father was a, a, a vicar i'd run away twice to a, a, a friary almost became a franciscan friar we were steeped in 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 the traditional understanding of christianity um so it wasn't yeah it was like wow this is you know we, that's why that's why when we approached it, it uh, well for my part it was unlike any other book i'd done because the other books i'd done were about exploring spiritual ideas in an accessible way mm -hmm. and then suddenly this was like everything we say in this has to be backed up we have to be able to be on firm ground and that's why you know it's copious footnotes and all of that because what i didn't want to do was write a jesus is a spaceman book where you make some outrageous claim those people just believe you because it's in print and um it has no substance okay so if you were to sum up the claim you did make then what would you how would you put that Okay, so what I called the Jesus Mysteries thesis was essentially that the story that we know of the story of Jesus, this amazing, miraculous story of a man who's born of a virgin, walks on water, comes back from the dead, and um, that you can be redeemed through believing that. That story is not literal history. Rather, it is a synthesis of pagan mythology and Jewish mythology into a spiritual allegory which is an initiatory process 
to take initiates, Gnostic initiates, to a state of gnosis, to a state of spiritual awakening. And that that has become literalized um, later. And that the literalized version is the one that, that took off, was, ta was taken over by the, the Roman Empire and imposed on the world. And therefore, nearly all forms of spirituality are caught up, uh, sorry, of, of Christianity, are caught up in that particular Roman version of, of the origins of Christianity. Okay, so and you're suggesting it's drawing on the myths going back to Osiris in Egypt and then through Greek myth and literature um, up to that time. So how was that received then? Because, I mean, you must have been aware when you were writing it that, that a tidal wave of criticism was going to come down upon you. Um, so how, how was it received, not so much by people coming to your workshops, we'll get to them in a minute, but by the, the wider kind of academic community who are engaged in these ideas or by the church or? Well, I think the first thing is that it's very hard if you're outside academia. I mean, Peter had one foot in academia, but only one. I had no feet in academia. I'd rejected that very, very early on because I just realized I couldn't have the level of creativity that I wanted within it. Um, which has been a massive advantage to me on the one hand and a massive disadvantage on the other because if you, you know, I would have, there are certain points, Jesus Mysteries is one, my latest book Soul Story is another, where I wish I was in the, the, in academia because I would like this to be seen by people, the, my peers, people who, who, who have really studied this. So up in, for, it took 10 years or more before really there was much academic interest. However, there were, you know, Bishop John Spong, for instance, in, in Newark and New York gave us a wonderful review. We had fantastic reviews from, from very influential people. That was very helpful um, and, and supportive, but it didn't have the analysis. It wasn't taken seriously. And partly then I began to realize as I began to appear on radio shows on Radio 4 and Channel 4 and on BBC and all that sort of thing. So I'd get called in for those. I realized that people had their fingers in their ears. They, they, they didn't answer the arguments. They just, I tell you the one that really got me because I wasn't in it. I was listening to it was that Peter did a um, uh, Radio 4 program with, um, who's now the guy's now the Archbishop of Canterbury. And um, his previous Archbishop. Was, no, a new no one. the one that's, yeah. the one that's currently the Archbishop. He wasn't the Archbishop at the time. Um, Rome Williams. He's, no, he's not there he's, anymore, Tim. He's, oh, he's, not, he's, he's, he's been replaced? Okay, yeah. right, thank you for that. <laughs> Behind the times with bishops. Thank you. Okay, with Rome Williams. And uh, Rome Williams is a really intelligent man. Um, I like him. But his technique was, it was exasperating, really, because Peter had all of this information. He had this wonderful narrative to explore. And Rome Williams' technique was to talk very, very slowly and reassuringly about how these ideas have been muted before and really there was no need to take them seriously. And it was like, it was just like a reassuring uncle going, don't listen to this, don't listen. And my feeling was that this is just not good enough. This is not a tel an intelligent debate. So in terms of academia, disappointment, I guess, I, I, I thought it might make more of an impact. I, I tried very hard to write the Jesus Mysteries as a popular book, so it's racy and fun and full of ideas because I wanted it to be a bestseller. Um, I wanted to reach, I wanted to give a new story to people. That, that one of the key things, I think, in all my work, actually, and that I brought to the project with Peter, my particular thing, is 
you don't change people's minds by arguing against something. Mm. You, cha you change it by providing a better story. So in philosophy, I want to provide a better story of life. And in history, I want to provide a better story of history, okay. one that accounts for the facts in a better way. We'll, we'll move on to that story in a moment and what the applicability is to spirituality and Christianity today. Yep. Um, but it does surprise me, just when I look around the, the thoughts world on this, so even reading like the Wikipedia article, you get the different schools of thought on the historicity of Jesus. And then right down at the bottom, there's like a little four lines, which said, and there are a few people on the fringe, not in academia, who think Jesus might not have been a historical man at all, right? The mythicists, but they're not really taken seriously by anyone. And, you know, even if you just step back a moment and look at the story, we're talking about a story of a man who walked on water, raised the dead and came back from the dead. It does sound a bit like a story. You wouldn't think that would be a, a, a perspective to be derisive of. So it is surprising, even if you do think he was an historical man, and I, I don't have any problem with that, but the, the level of derision, the, um, the mythical view attracts to itself is surprising to me. It, it, I mean, firstly, one thing to say is that since the Jesus Mysteries, and the Jesus Mysteries was the first, I mean, people have been putting this forward forever, but, but, um, the Jesus Mysteries was the first really big book, and it you know it launched what was it might even still be the largest religious group on the Yahoo groups, and that was big, and um and then and then since then there's been a wave of books, wave this book I've I've lost count, wave you know it's a big thing this Christ mything thing now, so it did play a role, a big role I think, in that process. So it wasn't it had no effect, it had quite a big effect in that way. But the other thing I realized again through suddenly going out, I mean, I could remember if I'm completely honest and I like to be, if I, you know, that I was much younger and going out again on Radio 4 and sitting down with bishops and, and theologians from Oxford and thinking, wow, I hope they just don't tear me to shreds because I don't know my stuff well enough. And they're coming out feeling like, wow, that was like shooting fish in a barrel. These people don't know anything. And the reason it felt like that is because they were involved in a mythic mindset. Mm. So, I mean, if I stand back and go, oh, these are people that think someone came back from the dead and that he was an incarnation of God, and they just take that on face back because of an old book, that's not going to be a, the sort of rational debate that I'm looking for, because I want somebody who's, who's able to go, that's not likely. Okay. But what does that mean? Well, there's a, like, to try and put to you some of the criticisms that have, have struck me of, like, the the thesis as a whole, maybe the Jesus Mysteries book. Um, there's a couple that come to mind. One is that people generally overestimate the knowledge we have over anyone in the ancient world. Okay, so yeah. whether Pythagoras or Socrates was a, a real person or not, okay? Um, and if they were, probably not in the way we think of them. Like Pythagoras' biography was written down 700 years after he died. Those are good examples, actually, because I mean, Pythagoras is, is, you know, nothing. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's very mythological. Socrates, there's, there's, you know, you're looking, sifting through the evidence. Socrates is, you know, is, is not like that. Socrates is obviously mentioned by Plato. Now, Plato's Socrates is not Socrates. We shouldn't, that's a very naive form of history. That's Plato's Socrates. So we have to be careful with that. But there's other people mention Socrates as well. So you, you get the, the feeling of, ah, here's somebody, there is somebody underneath there because we have different people mentioning them. And that's what we're looking for all the time. So when people say to me, look, we've got no more evidence that Julius Caesar really existed. It's like, you're an idiot. Because we have, you know, because we have written works by Julius Caesar. We have 
statues. We have, inf- we have lots of information that make us think there's a very, very, very good chance that Julius Caesar existed. So when we go that there is none of that for Jesus, that's the difference. Now, the argument back should be, well, this is the son of a carpenter, allegedly. So why would you have all of that? Mm. That's a good argument. But to compare the two is, is a bad argument. Well, would you not say there were four, like just to, to follow it up then, would you not say like people would say, maybe say there were four eyewitness accounts? Yeah, well, that's exactly what people say. And of course, that's completely wrong. And, um, and that's, a, a, you know, that we've known that for ever since the, the Germans started really studying the Bible, how many of a hundred, 400 years ago, that, that what we have in the Bible is not eyewitness accounts. The original texts of the Gospels didn't have names even. Um, they, that there are basically um, Matthew, Mark and Luke are basically the same. They're different versions of the same thing. That's interesting. That means that people were willing to copy things and change them as well. They're, 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 people think they've merged in different documents, uh, Mark being the earliest. And then John is quite different, um, but has some similar some similarities but the idea of them being eyewitness reports i don't is not credible they're faith documents they're faith documents they're just nothing to do with history and okay. and that's that's true i mean there's no doubt there were christians let me just be clear yeah, about sure. that as well i mean we're not saying that we're not christians and christians are mentioned in history it's about whether there was a jesus you know it's like if you take a similar example there's no doubt that there's, there was mithraeans but that doesn't mean there was a mithras hmm. So just moving on then to um, the other area I think is, is interesting is the comparisons drawn between pre-Christian myths, okay? And one of the, the criticisms I hear coming back to the, the Jesus myth theory in general, not specifically your book, is that people over-egg the pudding in this sense and they, they make out the correspondences are, are stronger than they are between the myth of Osiris or uh, Dionysus or something, or they draw on myths that are post jesus to uh, look at the similarities okay which could obviously then be influenced by christianity so yep. what do you make of the comparisons between the myths now looking back and do you do you feel that any of those criticisms are valid of your own work or how do, how do you feel about all that now well we try to be very careful i mean we couldn't research every single thing that we were coming across um so we just noted where it came from and let people judge it for themselves um by, by which i mean we weren't going out into the field and finding these correspondences we were taking them from other scholars now we peter and i i know are, you know especially with a lot of the egyptian stuff that came out after the well mainly after the jesus mysteries um we were quite puzzled as to what the root was this because we couldn't find those correspondences going back to the Egyptian stuff. So I do think we need to be careful with it. And there is no myth, which is the same as the Jesus story. That's key. Mm. You know, it's what we're, what we're looking at is fragments now. And some of it's afterwards, like, you know, the, 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 the great picture we have of this, uh, um, Orpheus Bacchus on the cross. Mm. This is post Christianity. So you could make a very good argument that this is, um, uh, influenced by Christianity. I don't think that's the case, but you could. So I, think, I do think these are valid arguments. Um, we have to sift them very carefully. But the thing which weighed me over and made me go down the road and write the book was just the, how much of it. And, 
and that it made sense that we had all of these fragments which were echoing this other very mythic story. So here's one mythic story, the story of Jesus, born of a virgin, all those miracles, everything, you know, everything that makes it myth, myth-like. So if an analogy which I worked with in my mind was, I imagine if, if I'd never read this story before, if someone had just found it in a cave in Nagamadi, if they'd found it in a, you know, a, a, an archaeological dig, and they'd brought up this old first, second century story, and said, what do you make of this? I think scholars would look at it and go, oh, this is interesting. This looks like a, this looks like a myth. It looks like it's a myth very similar to the, to the um, intertestamental myths, which combine Jewish and pagan mythology. Look, we can see these motifs. Did they definitely take that from Osiris? Who knows? Probably not. They're just in the air. Maybe they did. But you would do a literary analysis on it. And if you did a literary analysis, you would see, oh, look, this is echoing this. And, oh, the thing at the wedding, that's really re reminiscent of Dionysus at the wedding, isn't it? And the 12 disciples, that's very much like Mithras in the middle of the circle of the... Of the and, and you would see all those resonances. And which ones actually affected the people that created it? Who knows? Okay. Uh, but that it was in the air. There's two things I'd like to pick up on there. One is the idea that no story has been exactly the same as the Jesus story. Now, I think you used as an analogy in the Jesus Mysteries book, the comparison between Romeo and Juliet and West Side Story. And West Side Story is, is a direct retelling of Romeo and Juliet. So I, I totally, I see why you use that as an analogy because it gives people the idea. But it's, um, I think a lot of work has presented pagan myths as being the Jesus story with a different name. And that's infuriated uh, pro yeah, and, and that's not right so with that analogy and you're right to point out that the the limits of the analogy what, what we were trying to do with that analogy was point was try and give a simple example that people could get of what joseph campbell called the anatomy of a myth mm. so it's like the the skeleton that holds it together now actually the skeleton which holds the jesus mysteries together for instance is very similar to the skeleton that holds the myth of Exodus together, but on the front of the surface, it would not remotely like it, but they're both going through the same initiatory journey once you understand it from a Gnostic perspective. So the, it's, it's about trying to see that there can be, there's a common Gnost, allegorical Gnostic pattern which is played out in different ways. Yeah. And then what's made over it is these little different teaching stories. And that's so, what they are. The, the simplest, sorry, Richard, but I just want to say this because be, I feel like this is the easiest way to get it across to people who've, who've never come across this idea. The simplest way to get what I think what Peter and I are saying is, you know, the Jesus story is full of parables, which are not true stories. They're teaching stories. Well, the whole thing is a parable. It's true on a different level. So all of these little motifs are put in there as little parables, but they're parables within the narrative. And then within the narrative, there's parables he tells, which are, so it's absolutely full of these um, spiritual um, allegories. Yeah, it's like, like the Good Samaritan, for example. Good Samaritan is a great example because, you know, if I come on now and go, there's no Good Samaritan, it's like, of course not, Tim, it's a teaching story. Yeah. And I feel the same with there's no Jesus, of course not it's a teaching story okay but to pick just to go back to another point you made that you said at some point you said that it makes it it makes sense to see it this way right and i'd like to yeah. say it makes sense to you because you have this underpinning gnostic perennial view of the world okay so to the extent that these comparisons exist 
I feel maybe depends on, on how you view the world. So for example, like one comparison you draw is between Osiris being caught up into many pieces and reassembled by his wife, Isis, and on the cross, Jesus' seamless garment, and John makes the point that it is a seamless garment, is taken off him and caught up by the Roman soldiers. Now, if you have an underpinning mythical view of the world, a uh, perennial view, kind of we're all coming from one consciousness, you look at that and go, oh, okay, yeah, these are both symbols for the one mind. So Osiris symbolizes the one mind of God that becomes all the different fragments of the dream, and that's what John, or the beloved disciple, whoever, is doing in this gospel. He's saying that the garment is divided up. So that represents the oneness. But it, so I, that's, I totally see how you can see that comparison if you have this underpinning philosophical view. But I can also see how someone who doesn't have that could look at those two things and go, what? Oh, come on, that is stretching it. You know, that's so and, 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 you know, I, I, and I think completely, if, if, it, if it was just that, I would go, come on, really? And because I, I would, I mean, I can remember when we were starting work on this, and the stuff, the pagan stuff, was coming from uh, Peter Pilagandi's um, research as a classicist. Yeah, that's where it started coming from. So he started bringing me these um, things, resonances. And I can remember going, I was saying to him, well, put some together and I'll have a look through them. This is very early on in the process before we had the Jesus Mysteries thesis or any of it. We didn't know what we were looking at. Probably at that time, we thought we were looking at something which was overlaid on the real story of Jesus, like most people. Um, and when I looked at some of them, I was like, really, Pete? <laughs> I don't think this is strong enough. Um, but then as we began work together in earnest, it was the sheer number. And then once you've got that, then it's interesting. Then it's like, oh, maybe this is a resonance too. Maybe that's a resonance. But you, you can't hang the, the the theory on something as flimsy as that. Well, no, but, but my point being, do you see why people who don't have the same kind of worldview that you do may never get it? Because, or may never ah. see it this way, because they don't have that. If you don't think there's one consciousness that's dreaming the universe into existence, then you're not going to see the Osiris stories being symbolic of that. And you're not going to see a comparison. So, so are, are people in a sense, locked out of seeing things this way by their worldview? Look, I think people, yes. <laughs> Look, it's notoriously difficult for people to see anything other than what they already think. Um, it looks like most people don't get very far beyond the culture they're born in and the assumptions that are put into their soul by their culture very early on. Uh, it takes a it takes quite a jump of of awakening to in, to of doubt to be able to do that. Now culturally, we are doubting more, and that's making it easier for us, not not in other cultures. So look, it's really hard for people to even hear something which contradicts something which is fundamental to the structure of their world as yeah. they see it. And this is a very gnostic thought, of course, as you know. I mean, this is this is why there were these different levels of initiation. So it, for the gnostics, the outer mysteries which become religion, are, all, or are for people who are, who are to be taken literally. It's like it's not a problem. It's when you're ready that you get revealed the inner mysteries, which are the mythological depth and how, it, how really it's not about some other guy called Jesus. You're Jesus. It's about your transformation. It's about you becoming God. Things which if you said in the other world would be terrible heresy. So this is, that, that observation of yours is right, and it's a problem with any new idea. Yeah. Um, and it's particularly true with one which has been so entrenched in the past, to use a word from my new philosophy, the pastivity 
the weight of the past saying it's this way is why you know if i say if i was in a physics department which is new and fresh and i went yeah the, the universe is made of maths and there's infinite numbers it's like people go oh interesting but if i mean if i'm dealing with the jesus story in a in a top uh, um, university and i go jesus doesn't really exist it's a myth it's like sorry i didn't hear that and 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 that's the that's the difference we've got because of the the weight of the past so you're right of course you're right and it's and it and so that's my my attempt therefore to write the book in a really playful not playful exactly but racy um way in which you just feel the weight of the ideas until eventually you just go wow this this actually makes sense of it in a different way and then the, the next book was like okay right now let's get into the real meaning of it okay well i'm really keen to move on and ask you about people's personal reactions to the book we've had the kind of historical reactions and academia and all that i'm really keen to move on and ask you about the reactions of people that have come along to your workshops and seminars because uh, lots and lots of people have after being influenced by this book and what the implications are more theologically for the church and how it could be potentially a good thing for the church to embrace a more mythic view and transcend some of the, the theological sticking points within Christianity. But I think maybe it's a good point to cut it here and we'll do that on a separate recording. So people have kind of bite-sized chunks. So um, yeah, we'll do that pretty soon. And Tim will link to your events page below because you're running, well, all sorts of work in, in the real world, but also online groups at the minute. And one of those is going to be around the Jesus mysteries and Gnosticism. So if people check that out, there's probably a, a group there they can come along to and meet you in person and dialogue on some of these ideas. Absolutely. I look forward to that. Okay. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Richard.